0: On today's show, we take another look at the Asbury Revival, Saddleback Church gets removed from the Southern Baptist Convention, and also, Vladimir Putin was in the news this week, and he's the bad guy, right? Then for our Bible topic, we'll be discussing sin using the book by Mark Jones, Knowing Sin, as our discussion starter. It should be a good show, so let's get started.
1: Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my lovely wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're very grateful that you're here with us today. If it's your first time, uh, don't let the name fool you. Nikki and I, uh, we fancy ourselves Christians, fancy ourselves as religious folk. uh, But the world that we're in, and especially this country we are in, is increasingly secular, increasingly religionless. And that's in part where the name comes from. Uh, So we do hope to kind of, I guess, offer some advice, some guidance, um, our insight on how Christians should live kind of with our eyes fixed on Christ in this lost and dying world. That's our goal here like it is every week, and that's what we're going to be trying to do as we look through the news and especially as we get into our Bible topic, speaking on sin um, in the back half of the show here. So before we get to all of that, though, the news topics, all of these sorts of things, is there anything you'd like to say? Any prayer requests?
0: Um, yeah, just pray our, again, keep praying about our move. I, I get more stressed as the weeks go by. So two more weeks, a little less than two weeks. So yeah, pray we get someone to come and do a move out clean. Because <laughs> I think, I was thinking I might do that. But that's a lot. That's a lot of extra to do. So I asked someone today if they could. So I'm just hoping they get back with me and they're available.
1: Yep. Pray for the move. If you have been praying, continue to pray. Things are working, coming together um, as they should. But it does get more hectic as the days draw uh, fewer. So pray for that. Also, consider praying for a church that our children attend on Wednesday night. It's called Westminster Presbyterian. Here in Fort Walton Beach, great church, they do a ton with the youth and they actually spend a lot of time actually teaching them the Word of God, which is <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. but they are going through some pastoral change at the church in the next couple of weeks and potentially some eldership change there. so just pray that you know uh, the pastors that are leaving would go and be fruitful in their new locations and The pastors and the elders that are staying and whoever they bring on um, would just continue the great tradition there at Westminster of um, preaching God's Word and really training up the next generation to love and fear the Lord. So keep Westminster, Presbyterian, and Fort Walton Beach in your prayers, please. And also, if you want to lift me up in prayer, if you're watching on the video, if you can see... I have a small little dot in my forehead. Had a mm-hmm. cyst removed from my forehead, very small but noticeable. And then I had some, like they think they said it was precancerous cells on the top of my head, uh, which I guess everything that isn't cancer is precancerous. <laughs> so not not anything too concerning, but just pray that you know I would be healthy and uh, I guess the precancer would just stay precancer. And not go full cancer. So nothing that we're concerned about, but just as always, pray for us. We certainly appreciate that. And then um, let us get our Mm -hmm. plugs out of the way here before we dive into the news so we can just run with it. Um, You guys know, we ask you every week, if you are traveling, especially, uh, even if it's just personal travel, if it's just you and your spouse that want to take a trip to, you know, thailand whatever happens to be reach out to cardinal um you know whether you're a a couple going on a vacation whether you're a church sending missionaries out the door or if you (laughs) work on a cia black ops unit and you're going to do work in the central africa um cardinal has something that they can help you with they can give you the resources you need to make sure that you um don't find yourself in a situation you're unprepared for. Um Cardinal is the best in the world at preparing you for all those situations, um helping you get out of tight spots, all that sort of stuff. So, there'll be links in the show notes. Please consider reaching out to them, especially if you're a church, if you're a missionary organization, or if you are a missionary yourself, please reach out to Cardinal. They're godly men, but more importantly to you in that aspect, um they are experts. They are the world's foremost experts in contingency preparedness. So reach out to them. Cardinal Contingency Solutions. Also, uh, we don't, I guess plug too often our, you know f- support for the show in this context, but if you do want to support our show, we want you to support our show. But we understand, you know, not everybody just has money laying around to throw at everybody, so we have affiliate links down in the show notes. Uh, consider using the affiliate links. There's things like Amazon, you know, Best Buy, ChristianBooks dot com. That it doesn't cost you a penny, and you can buy anything you need there. You know, if you need to buy a new cell phone cover <laughs> for your phone on Amazon, just use our link. You know, we get a small percentage of that to help the show, and it doesn't cost you a penny. Um, same thing with Christian Books and Best Buy. And then there's also going to be affiliate links down there. We've mentioned the Homegrown Generation um, conference that's going on March. And they're kind of being spearheaded by the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. And they're members of the Christian podcast community as we are, proud members. And we have links down there, affiliate links for the Homegrown Generation conference. If you wanna sign up for that, if you're thinking about homeschooling, You know, or you're a homeschooler that just wants more ideas and more support, there's links down there. It's a great resource. And again, doesn't cost you an extra cent to use our link, but it does help us in a small way, and we would appreciate that. All righty then. I guess we can get to the news. We can get to the music. I think the music is worthy for this week. So gird up your loins, steel up your soul, put on the full armor of God as we make our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death and take a look at the news of the week. And so we, <laughs> we don't want to spend much time on this, but uh, I do want to address, some of you may have heard what Vladimir Putin uh, had to say. He's the president of Russia, as I'm sure everyone's well aware. And he sort of had his, if you want to call it the state of, state of the Union sort of type of address for Russia this week. And there was one thing of interest that he said, um, or a few things of interest that he said, and you can find the audio of this online, and they'll have some with translations, some just with uh, subtitles. But I thought it was just better if we read the script. Um rather than the you know the translators that were kind of rough to listen to so do you want to read honey this it's a pretty lengthy chunk here but i think it's all worth reading
0: yeah all right it says however they too realize it is impossible to defeat russia on the battlefield and are conducting increasingly aggressive information attacks against us, targeting primarily the younger generation. They never stop lying and distorting historical facts as they attack our culture, the Russian Orthodox Church, and other traditional religious organizations in our country. Look what they are doing to their own people. It is all about the destruction of the family, of cultural and national identity, perversion and abuse of children, including pedophilia, all of which are declared normal in their life. They are forcing the priests to bless same-sex marriages, bless their hearts, let them do as they please. Here is what I would like to say in this regard. Adult people can do as they please. We in Russia have always seen it that way and always will. No one is going to intrude into other people's private lives, and we are not going to do it either. But here is what I would like to tell them. Look at the Holy Scripture and the main books of other world religions. They say it all, including that family is the union of a man and a woman. But these sacred texts are now being questioned. Reportedly, the Anglican Church is planning, just planning, to explore the idea of a gender-neutral God— What is there to say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Millions of people in the West realize that they are being led to a spiritual disaster. Frankly, the elite appear to have gone crazy, and it looks like there is no cure for that. But like I said, these are their problems. While we must protect our children, which we will do, we will protect our children from degradation and degeneration. Clearly, the West will try to undermine and divide our society and to bet on the fifth columnists who throughout history, and I want to emphasize this, have been using the same poison to contempt for their own fork of contempt for their own fatherland and the desire to make money by selling this poison to anyone who is willing to pay for it. It has always been that way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um Now, we're not going to sit here and, you know, you always got to give this caveat when you talk about Putin, you know, or really any other foreign leader, right? We're not going to sit here and tell you, ah, Putin's a good guy, that he's a trustworthy guy. None of that stuff, right? Um, But I'm not sure what he said in that portion isn't true and accurate, uh, at least in what we read. Accurate. Uh, Scary accurate, right? Um, But my point with bringing that up and having Nikki read that Is for Christians, right? That's what we do this show for. Is for Christians, Uh, by and large. Although if you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. Please repent, believe in the Lord, become a Christian. Um, But we're assuming most of you are Christians. And uh, good and bad. This is the point that I want to take from this. Good and bad, right and wrong, are determined by who is most closely aligned with biblical teachings. Um, the Bible determines what is right and good. So whoever is striving to adhere to that most closely is the one who is more good, (laughs) you know, and they're the one that's more right in that respect. And I'm not saying it's Russia, um, but I'm certainly saying our leaders in this nation have largely thrown the Bible right out the window. Um, It no longer determines the course of this nation. You know, we're concerned with what drives in you know profit and power. That's really the only two governing principles that we have in our nation. And you know, Putin's been saying stuff like this for a long time. And every time he says something about the church, you're like, ah, well, he's just a liar. He's co-opting the church. It's propaganda. And you're like, Well, our nation doesn't even try to propagandize us that they love the Lord and adhere to his principles. Yeah, they just throw that right out the window, right? Kill your babies trans your kids, um, money over, you know morals. That's the message we get repeatedly on an endless loop all throughout the day. So, <laughs> even if he's just propagandizing, at least he's propagandizing in an appropriate manner. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Um, but this should concern us greatly, right? What is right and wrong? What is good and bad? Determined by biblical teaching. And it should color our view of how we view who is right and wrong, good or bad, even on the world stage. You know, we, I think the idea of just America good, Russia bad, you know, China bad, everybody else is somewhere in the middle. But like that, I think has been proven that we can't hold to that standard anymore. Um, it doesn't mean that you'd stop supporting your nation, right? This is where we live. This is where we have our livelihood, our kit, but the idea of just like, well, America said it. So that one's right. Russia said it. So that one's wrong. Yeah. Nothing Russia, nothing Putin said in that bit we read was wrong.
0: Yeah. Cause he seems to have a, a fear of the Lord in a sense and honor, um, and I mean, we don't. <laughs> our nation does not. And it is shameful. Um, I mean, m- money is our nation's God. And there's no, there's nothing sacred here. It's just follow your heart. Whatever you feel is right. Feelings are the authority. It's really yeah. foolish. And it's just chaos. And, and it. Even unbelievers know how how foolish it is, you know?
1: Yeah, we're just trapped in this cycle, though, even though we know something's wrong, we still chase after the wrong. And, you know, and obviously, I don't know much about Putin. You know, I know what we're told, bad guy, he's a murderer, killer, all these sorts of things, which I don't doubt. Um, but I think the big problem and a reason why this, you know, I guess, is worth noting is, and there has been some dissent in Russia over the Ukraine stuff. But like, in our nation, we don't believe in anything, by and large. We've talked yeah. about this before. Six percent have a biblical worldview. That's the number we should hold to when we talk about a Christian, you know, majority in America, wrong. Because if you don't have a biblical worldview, I have a hard time buying into your Christian beliefs. Yeah. You know, so six percent. but. It, You know, so we don't have anything that we're fighting for, nothing outside of us to motivate us, you know, whereas in Russia, if they are at least placating to the faithful base, at least propagandizing in a way that stokes religious fervor amongst their people, then they actually have something to fight for. Right. You know, for us, though, it's just I'm fighting so that I can get home for my new iPhone 15 when it comes out. You're not going to win a war hoping for the new iPhone 15 right? When you think you're on the cause or the side of good, when you're fighting for something bigger than just your own life, you know, like we were in World War II, that's when you fight, that's when people give their lives willingly for those things. And I'm terrified that we don't have very many of those people in this nation left anymore. So just consider that, right? We're not, you know, pro-Russia propagandists on this show, but whoever is speaking in aligning more closely with biblical truth. And I'm not saying that's Putin. We're just making the point off of his speech because it certainly is not our leaders currently. They Mm. are not aligning themselves with biblical truth and biblical doctrine and guidance in their life. So we have to determine that that is not good, even if it's America. And we should be encouraging these leaders to adhere to it so that we are on the side of right and good. It's what we should be doing as Christians.
0: And it's good that he's pointing it out and how shameful it is. And I pray that our nation's leaders, their eyes are open just to see the horror of the agenda they're, they're for, that they're pushing, to see it for what it is. It's like even if evil men say what we're doing is evil, how much worse are we?
1: Yeah, you know, you know, you're in a bad spot when Vladimir Putin yeah. can take you to task over your moral depravity. <laughs> That's not a good sp- and you have no argument to come back with it. Right. Yeah, they're pedophiles and trans and their kids and their elites have gone completely insane. And you're like, hold on a sec. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, anyways, continue on, Vladimir. We have nothing to say, right? That should not be the case uh, in America. We should not be getting lectured on adherence to biblical uh, truth our by nation. a Russian leader. The only point, I guess, I would say that he was wrong in there is where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, they're very aware of what they're doing, our leaders. Well, that's they know why very... I kind
0: of read it is like a question, because I felt like maybe that's what he means. Like, what should we do? Say? I mean, I guess should in the sense we say that? Of... But we can't. In the they sense of doing.
1: Christ on the cross saying forgive them. Right. They knew what they were doing in a worldly sense, yeah. but they couldn't understand the eternal spiritual consequence of what they were doing. And I guess in the same respect, we can give that same leniency to our leaders. They know what they're doing on it in the earthly realm.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. They don't
1: understand the spiritual consequences, the gravity of their situation or their decisions. In an eternal perspective. So forgive them, they don't understand that. But for those of us who do, it is uh, very, very important that we make sure that they are aware at every opportunity of the gravity of these decisions. Um, and this is a big problem. And we'll talk about this with uh, Saddleback Church But Christians, conservatives in general, you know, they're not the same thing, but they tend to reside on the same side of the field. Quit this idea of a silent majority. And we're just, I'm worried about me. And, you know, if you're not engaged in the culture war, then you have no reason to complain about the culture war, right? If you're like, oh, these wicked leaders in Washington, but you're not bombarding them with emails tweets, you know, these sorts of things to demand that they adhere to God's word, then you're just, I don't know, you're just making yourself upset for no good reason. We need to be the loudest voice in the room. We used to be the loudest voice in the room, um, but that has changed. And now it's, you know, the blue haired, you know, non-binary sexually immoral, like they're the ones with the loudest platform and they're getting things that they want, right? So stop just sitting on the sidelines and wringing your hands and get active, you know, get involved, demand that they adhere to God's word. Um, That's something we can be doing, and it doesn't cost you very much. You know, send an email. It's not that complicated. So um, do you have any last thoughts on Vladimir Putin before we roll into Asbury?
0: No, let's move on.
1: All righty then, um, we do want to readdress sort of the happenings at Asbury. We discussed this, you know, a little bit more in depth last week, so this is just more of an update, um, as Asbury's about two and a half weeks in now, right? What are we on, the 20, it's the 25th today? So we're sitting at about, I can do math, right? That's, uh <laughs> Uh yeah two weeks, right? Of Asbury. Um yeah, I
0: think it may be longer. What was the eight? Oh yeah, sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. In two weeks. Yes, two weeks.
1: 17 days, right? So um yeah, a little over two weeks. Public math. Um but it seems to be going strong, you know. Um and that's a positive for whatever it's worth, but it's going so strong that it's not even considered a revival anymore, (laughs) according to some news outlets, like the Gospel Coalition. Do you want to read that headline, honey?
0: Ordinary and Extraordinary, A Day at Asbury Awakening.
1: The Asbury Awakening. Yes. He says, I first heard about the gathering at Asbury University from social media on Thursday after the awakening began. The next Sunday, my pastor mentioned in his sermon. By Monday, I was making arrangements to fly to Kentucky, observe the gathering, and bring back a report for the church family. So,
0: what's the report? Like, just saying people are there worshiping.
1: Going on, revival is dead. Awakening is here, according to the Gospel Coalition. And again, we generally are. Happy with what's going on at Asbury, Um, whether it's revival, whether it's an awakening. You know, we don't really know. As we said last week, time is going to tell.
0: People observing this, wanting to go to observe, and that want to know what is an awakening. What does that mean? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, if only they would have been at Asbury in two thousand six, they would have understood what a revival was. But um, the big issue I think that I still have with this and maybe this was an issue I've had the whole time and why it's been unsettling to me um he notes it here in this headline the room where it happens this is what I have a concern with I think um because this idea or this thought process that revival is taking place at Hughes Auditorium at Asbury University um you know, the idea, like Nikki said, why is he going there to see like that in order to feel the revival in your soul, you know, if that's what you need, it has to be partaken of at Asbury University. You need to get to Hughes Auditorium, like this author of the Gospel Coalition article said, I just have to get there to see what's going on. Um, You know, I just, me and Nikki, you know, both as we discussed this, I just can't get on board with that. Um, that somehow the Holy Spirit is concentrated in this building. Because um, to me, that's just like we talked about with Bethel. That to me seems more New Age mystic than it does Christian.
0: Yeah, and I think there's so many people that follow those New Age teachings and they don't realize it. Um, So I'm just very skeptical of how, if it is a revival, whatever a revival would be, because it's not, like we said, it's not a location. Like, I don't think uh, the scriptures even speak of a big revival of people coming to faith in the end times before Jesus returns. And, you know, I have family who's really excited about it. They feel like this is, you know, because Jesus is going to return soon. So they see this, uh, and they're thinking Jesus is coming back very, very soon. Like, they're feeling like this year, something's happening. Um, I don't, I don't know why people get, where do they get that from.
1: Well, and I'm no eschatological uh, scholar, but I mean, that's generally the post-millennial viewpoint, isn't it? That, where do
0: they get it in scripture then?
1: Well, they do have scriptural proof, What I can't give it to you because I don't necessarily adhere to post-millennial um, beliefs of the end times, but I know that that's, if I understand correctly, if I'm off base, please forgive me. Um, That is that sort of gradual um, increasing of Christianity around the world until Christ's eventual return. Um,
0: Okay, that's an increase
1: in people being saved.
0: What is happening here that we're reading is people that are already saved are the ones flocking here. So that doesn't match up.
1: Right. That was initially my big issue with calling this a revival or even the revival in the first place that like these people are at, you know, Asbury university or seminary. I mean, it's a, even the university, it's a religious, um, university. It's based in a religious background and these people are actively, you know, there, they're in church, they're seeking God. And even just this whole revival culture, if you're actively seeking to have revival break out, you seem to already be in the proper mindset and mode of what your, like, Christian faith should be bringing out of you. You're not spiritually dead and apathetic. Like, you're hungry for God. That's why you're, you're praying for it and inviting it. And then it happens and you're like, why would it happen to them? That was always my big concern. Like, you seem to be fine. You don't need a revival if you're the person, like, actively right, there, right? you know calling out for God, studying His Word, praying in church, singing psalms and hymns and worship to Him, like, your soul seems fine. I don't know what the big issue is there.
0: If God is just—I don't know. Again, I don't see anything in Scripture, even of God's presence being somewhere, even making believers um, repent or whatever else they claim to be— you know they claim they claim to be happening over there um like it's his word that really is the mirror that causes us to repent um i i i don't like to add description to i don't like to say that this is something that is spoken of um i i just don't see how any of it lines up and i'm glad i'm really glad that people are seeking god um I'm not angry about this. I just don't want to call it something and to say, this is this is what scripture spoke of when it isn't. I just want to be careful not to add to scripture. Um, I just want people to know that you're saved um, through the gospel, not through going to a revival where God's presence is. You don't need to be there to be saved. Um, Romans 1 16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel saves, not the supposed tangible presence of God isolated to a certain location. So people flocking here for something extra from God on top of salvation, I feel like they're believing like a lie. Like if they believe that, I don't I think that's wrong for them to think that. And I feel like it's emotionalism too. Um it just amazes me that people are they'll they'll travel and spend all this time and money to experience something that they can have where they live. Um, the Holy Spirit lives in believers. And to think you can get something extra by being at this place is I believe it's a lack of faith in what Christ accomplished. And I wanna encourage everyone listening, you are not you're not missing out on something from God. He is in you more fully than he supposedly is in the building. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and and that God's spirit dwells in you? And also Acts 7.48 says, however, the most high does not dwell in temples made with hands. And I just think that people are rejecting God's word by going to this supposed revival. I think they are seeking God, but not in his word. And they should know that he does not dwell in buildings. His presence is in believers. Um, so the, I know the presence of God, the Holy Spirit filled the upper room at Pentecost and he, he filled the believers. Um, but I don't see anyone in scripture in the New Testament, where God dwelled in a building, um, I only read that He dwells in His children. Yeah. So, and I had some scriptures I was gonna yeah, just bring gonna. up to go with it. Um, Matthew seven seven. Um, yeah, they're about. Um, I just looked up some scriptures online, just about seeking God. And it doesn't in any way imply we have to travel <laughs> to find him. So Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So you're seeking God. You just ask.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Psalm 105:4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Continually. His presence is there <laughs> with you. <laughs> Isaiah 55, six, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. And that doesn't mean, I know they could twist that and say, he's near over here. We got to go over here and, and call upon him. Like he's, he's here in your heart. He resides in you. Acts 17, 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So maybe all these people searching for God's presence here think that God is far from them. Yeah, I, I mean,
1: you know, and you don't know someone's heart and their actual motives. Because like we said before, I think if we were in that Tennessee, Kentucky area, we might drive out there and go, I just want to see what is going on out here.
0: I would want to know too. You know, but not yeah. to necessarily
1: say... I really need the Holy Spirit, so I'm right. going to go to Hughes Auditorium. Right. And that's just something that we have a problem with, this idea that so many from across the country are flocking there because it's like, I want to be in the Holy Spirit's presence when if you've called on the name of the Lord, the Holy Spirit already resides in you. If you want, I guess, a a greater, um, I don't know, working of the Holy Spirit in your life, open the Bible, pray, yes. cry out to God. And no problem if you want to go to Asbury and see what's going on, but just the mindset of I need to be there where the Holy Spirit is moving rather than, well, I know the Holy Spirit lives in me, but I just want to go see what all these believers are, are doing there because it sounds awesome and I want to go see what's going on. Like there's different mindsets to me, and I have a problem with the mindset of I need to get to the room where it's happening. Um, and I read a poll or a survey, I'm sorry, by the Pew Research Center. And it said, New Age beliefs common am- among both religious and non religious Americans. And this was back from 2016. And this is some of the same stuff that we were talking about with Bethel, or really, you know, as we mentioned, kind of all the revival meetings that have taken place across the country and the world. I mean, maybe it's kind of an old timey thing now, but you know, they used to be revival meetings. They'd have the the tent set up out there. Hey, we're going to have a healing service come out to this place on Tuesday. And like, Oh, the Holy Spirit's going to show up on Tuesday to heal me hot dog. Right. Um, it just, no, (laughs) right. Um, you're not going to just like make an appointment with the Holy spirit to come to your, your tent on a Tuesday. Um, It's just not, I would say, the way it works. But according to this survey, it says, where am I looking at? Um, Yeah, it says 42% right here, according to the survey, 42% of US adults believe spiritual energy can be located in physical things. And 37% of Christians um, believe that. Now, to the New Age, sort of the mystics, if you will, they probably would take this more to mean like a tree or a mountain, right? Or maybe a river or something to that effect has spiritual energy in it. I'm not really sure what they would believe. Right. But is it outside the realm of possibility that Christians who have adopted some New Age because places like Bethel have been heretically teaching this for so long, that they could take it to mean something like a certain chapel um, has more spiritual energy. The Holy Spirit resides in a chapel at a given time, right? It doesn't seem too far-fetched that they could believe something like that. Right. You know, the Holy Spirit we heard, he's in Hughes Auditorium. Let's get in the van and go to Hughes Auditorium where the Holy Spirit is, right? Right. But then when you go, well, Nikki, just point out the Holy Spirit is in the believer. Um, So I would say, you know, if the Holy Spirit is in Hughes Auditorium, it's because believers are in Hughes Auditorium and they're flocking there. So there's more of the Holy Spirit because there's more believers where the Holy Spirit resides in.
0: Yeah. I mean, when Jesus died, like the temple curtain was torn, like we have access to God. Like you go right to God, but you're like, no, I'm gonna go here where all the commotion is. It's like
1: Right and what did Jesus accomplish the Holy Spirit to reside in you? I mean, it doesn't You are the temple of God. (laughs) Access to God than God living in you.
0: It's like you you don't have faith. You don't believe that God resides in you when you're more excited about experiencing God's presence in a, a different way. It's I don't know. I, I think they're missing out on. It is such a blessing that God lives in us, and we have His Word, and His Word convicts and encourages us, and we can learn everything from God's Word. You're not going to get anything in this huge auditorium that you can't get from His Word and His Spirit in you. Like you're not missing out. God is not telling you to go there that He has something special to give you there.
1: Yeah, if you feel compelled because you've been reading of Asbury to repent for your sins, praise God, <laughs> do it right now. Yeah. You don't need to drive to Asbury, but yeah, I do feel like maybe it's, and this is so much of kind of the modern Pentecostal that we talked about last week, right? Is this just a hearkening back to a Pentecost idea? You know, this is an upper room idea at Asbury. You know, the Holy Spirit fell on them in the upper room, and, you know, they were Speaking in tongues, people were saved. So it's kind of like just a carryover of that. Well, no, the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room in Pentecost. So he falls in the upper room or Hughes Auditorium today, um, which I just think is not something we should hold on to or expect that sort of this one time unique in the history of human events that Pentecost was. uh, We should not expect that to be normative. You right. know, that's something, and I you know, I think revival culture really expects that, yeah. that this sort of upper room experience is going to be somewhat normative, or you can make it normative, when I would just caution against that. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, um, it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, repent, be baptized and show up to the upper room and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. No, repent, believe, and you will get the Holy Spirit. You didn't need to go anywhere for that. So again, this can sound like we're kind of dumping on Asbury. We're not. <laughs> we're happy with what we've seen at Asbury. Um, we're still cautious about it. And we still are going to say, like we said last week, time will tell our lives, you know, really changed? Are we going to see this sort of outpouring like, you know, the Josiah type environment where false idols, um, pagan idols are being torn down, idolatrous leaders? Uh, maybe we'll see in the next election cycle, right? <laughs> How's Kentucky voting? Uh, how many,
0: right. you know, <laughs> pagan
1: and secular leaders are they are still Are leaders
0: going to this
1: So, yeah, did anybody find out if Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul showed up? Uh, I don't know. But, you know, we're happy with what we've seen, you know, and we hope that this continues and there is lasting results from it. I think I would just be more encouraged if sort of the leadership of Asbury was like, hey, we love you guys, want you to show up, but here's a better idea. Go take this message of God's redeeming power to your church in your congregation. Call people to repentance in your home. Like, let's. And there are churches doing that. I would just be more encouraged than just, "Hey, I need to make it to Asbury to see what's going on," because it just seems maybe it's my own bias. Just kind of that new age idea of spiritual energy in a physical object, um, which I don't think we as Christians should be relying on.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking like, when does it, if God's presence is there, like in a tangible way, like people say, you can feel it. When does his presence leave? How do we know when his presence has left and people just stop coming? They show up and they're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel his presence. And in- Okay, guys, it's over. Go home.
1: Yeah, there's still a line <laughs> of like a thousand people outside. And they're like, hey, no, the Holy Spirit's gone. He went to... uh Boca Raton, Florida, Uh, he's gone now. Uh, Turn your car around and head home, everybody. Uh, Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know when you determine that God, if his presence is there, how do you know it left? That's the thing. It's a good question. Tangible presence of God. But,
1: you know, Asbury, again, they are very well versed in Holy Spirit revival. So maybe they have a, a very firm grasp on this. This has happened eight to 10 times in their history. So they understand when the spirit shows and when he goes. So we'll see. Although moving on to our next story here, maybe just maybe we're seeing some tangible proof of revival spreading.
0: Tangible proof. Yes. And maybe
1: this revival is spreading to the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, do you want to read this headline, honey?
0: Yeah. Southern Baptist oust Saddleback Church over a woman pastor.
1: Yep. Do you want to read this first paragraph?
0: The Southern Baptist Convention on Tuesday ousted its second largest congregation, Saddleback Church, the renowned California megachurch founded by pastor and bestselling author Rick Warren for having a woman pastor.
1: Yep. Um, and I will just mention, a bit misleading there in that first paragraph, um, you know, kicking them out for having a woman pastor. Eh, just kind of fudging with the, the truth there a little mm-hmm. bit. But the crux of that is true. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has voted to kick Saddleback Church out of their convention. And I don't know who the largest church in the Southern Baptist yeah, Convention second, would be. Yeah, I thought to look that up, and then I just didn't. So I don't know who that would be. If you know, let us know down in the comments, leave us a review, jump on social media. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. But it says in the article here, the committee cited Saddleback's having a female teaching pastor functioning in the office of pastor, an allusion to Stacy Wood, wife of the current lead pastor of Saddleback, Andy Wood. But the controversy began in 2021, when Warren ordained three women as pastors, prompting discussions within the, the denomination about possibly expelling the megachurch. And that's kind of more the real story behind what got them kicked. Um, They do have the female teaching pastor, wife of the senior pastor there currently, but this stemmed about from, like they said, 2021, when Rick Warren was still the pastor, they ordained three women to be pastors. And that sort of caused the uproar and, um, you know, I'm happy about this. I support the Southern Baptist Convention. And, you know, like most stories, you know, I saw this as I was kind of scrolling through Twitter, seeing what was going on. And obviously Twitter, you know, is no place for, (laughs) you know, righteous conversation to be had. Although, as I mentioned earlier, Christians, believers, you ought to be engaged in these culture wars if you want to make your voice and your point of view made known, then get on the platforms where the people are having the conversations. Um, Because when I was on there looking at this, you know, it was probably 98%, right? Everybody tearing the Southern Baptist Convention apart for being the worst place on planet Earth. And kind of, it made me think of back to our John MacArthur talk um, with Grace Community and their counseling where everyone was like, just say you're sorry, just ask for forgiveness. And you know, we kind of made the point, not that they shouldn't if they did something wrong, but the idea that they would ask for forgiveness and it would just be accepted and everybody would be okay yeah. with it is a complete lie. Because all throughout this, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention had just come under all that scrutiny for the sexual assault stuff that had been going on. And even though they came out, apologized mm-hmm. as much as you could apologize, hired firm, law firms, and investigative yeah. firm, did everything they could to right that wrong. What did everybody bring up when they ousted Saddleback? Oh, well, they got a bunch of perverts and pedophiles, sex abusers. Nobody has a problem with that. Like, not an ounce of forgiveness, even though they begged for your forgiveness. So just the idea that, well, if you just went out and said you're sorry, everybody's going to let, let it go. No, <laughs> they're never going to let it go. True. Because forgiveness doesn't exist in our culture today. Right. Um, yeah. But just the idea that people are so upset about this. People hate any standards in our country today, but they especially hate standards when it's given by God, Mm -hmm. right? God in his word over and over again said men are to be pastors. Oh, people hate that, (laughs) especially in 2023, Mm -hmm. where we worship women in this country. We worship them to the point where men are cutting their genitals off just to be them. They can't be women enough. Can't worship (laughs) women enough, you know? So the idea that the church or even a convention or even God himself, (laughs) even the audacity that God himself would say women are not meant to be pastors.
0: That's, that means like, and I was listening to um, Mike Wiener discuss this, I I think it was like maybe a year ago when he was discussing it, but... Yeah, he went over so many different things. Like, people take this to mean that women can't do anything but work the, the children's uh, ministry. or And he's like, no, nope. women can write books. Um, they can have their own podcast and talk on biblical matters. Women can still speak um, and teach, just not in authority over men, not like a, you know, the way it is in the home. Yeah, it's You're literally
1: one, because even the Southern Baptist Convention, it's a convention. It's not a church. It is like a missionary, in a sense, organization convention. They have women directors mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about a director over a charitable organization. <laughs> it says, right, but it doesn't matter because we hate standards in our country. If you had a restaurant called like Four Finger Tommy's and all your waiters had four fingers they'd be upset and like, Oh, I got five fingers. Screw you for not letting me have a job. You're like, it's four finger Tommies. No, we're suing you. And now you got a bunch of people with five fingers. Like because we can't accept a standard, right? It's too much for our fragile brains to handle in 2023. Even if God himself said it, right. Um, And I would trust in from just a little bit that I saw on Twitter, people will leave their church over this. If they're Southern Baptists, they will leave, right? People who would have claimed otherwise that they were Christians, right? They won't even leave their church. They'll leave their faith over this move, which of course means they weren't Christian to begin with. Um, But the idea that believing, you know, that there's a God and then being told that this God has a standard... Will cause people to leave the church. You know, yeah. it's just mind-boggling. And, but
0: I mean, women are like, well, I have a gift for teaching, but that doesn't mean teaching. Oh, and, you know, in the position of a pastor.
1: Yes, you probably you do have a great gift for teaching. Many women do. My mother was the most instrumental woman in my life for raising me in a faith. Um, but I would still say you're The biblically, you're not to be a elder or a pastor over a church. That's the Bible standard. Would I tell her you have no right telling me anything about the word of God? Of course not. That'd be idiotic, right? right? You know, it's just there's a standard. We hate standard. Uh, We can't stomach a standard. And
0: there might be some churches that are that strict about it, that really think women can't do anything else. I'm sure there are.
1: Right, but just because people make mistakes or people do things wrong does not somehow mean God is wrong. I mean, this is the big crux of so much that's wrong with Christianity, right? People, oh, I hate Christianity because Christians are hypocrites. What does that have to do with Christianity? What does that have to do with Jesus Christ? Was Christ a hypocrite? Nah, people are sinners, they make mistakes. So just because there's a pastor or a church that is too heavy-handed on women— that has nothing to do with God. It has to do right. with people that are right. idiots, right? But women aren't allowed to be pastors biblically. I mean, I don't know why that's so cosmic to say, other than we worship women in 2023. But again, that will cause people to say that they, you know, they hate the church, they hate God. And we as a church, when that stuff arises, I think we should lovingly say... <laughs> The old saying, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you, right? As loving as we can, maybe try to speak some sense into them, but then let them go. If this is something that's going to cause them biblical standards, adhering to biblical standard is enough for them to thrash, curse the church, curse God, curse the pastors and whatever, have a nice day, right? First John chapter 2:19 says they went out from, from among us because they were not of us. Those people were not of you. If they are only there so long as you affirm everything that they feel in 2023, and they hate God's standard, hate God's laws, well, then they were never of you in the first place. So you're not losing a whole lot by losing them. Um, But I do want to make the point on this as well, that this is not some death nail for the Christian church, again, like so many on Twitter. Um that are just filled with hate, because that's all Twitter breeds is hate. But that's what they would claim, right? The death nail, oh, good, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention is going to die, let them die, you know, they stink because of this. But this is not the death nail for the Southern Baptist Convention or the church. This is, in fact, how the church is revived, Mm. um, because this would be a real revival, a convention, a church that's going back to adherence to God's word. Yeah,
0: I see this as revival. Like this is evidence. Yeah.
1: And it is because we did not, we weren't so confident about the Southern Baptist convention when this stuff broke and then the sexual assault, the DIE stuff that they had going on, bringing in all the women directors to make sure they're equally balanced. We were yeah. like, our Southern Baptist convention. But here is a spark of revival going, nope, we have a, a statement of faith And that statement of faith was based on our understanding of biblical truth. And we're going to adhere to that. That is what brings a church back to life. Not, you know, having women pastors and non-binary Anglican bishops, you know, it's not having Andy Stanley affirm every sin that you bring to him. None of that revives the church. Those are death nails to the church. Adherence to God's word will revive the church. And sometimes you get addition by subtraction. You know, we've been speaking that since we started this podcast, right? We don't need to fill up our churches full of people that don't actually love God, actually hate his word, hate biblical standards. We don't need to be filling up our pews with these people because they might drop a few dollars in the offering bucket. We need to cleanse those people, either get them saved or get them out and start training up people who actually love the Lord, want to serve the Lord, teaching them the word of God so that they Mm. can go out into the lost world and spread that good news. So um, this is not a death nail. This is real revival, in my opinion. Again, we'll see what comes of it in the long run, but I'm certainly happy to see uh, the Southern Baptist Convention make this stand. Yeah,
0: that's the thing that, yeah, as people leave churches over and it's a huge deal. Yeah. That was them. A, a I big wouldn't be crying about it.
1: I mean, do your best to enlighten them, point them to the word of God. But if they're gonna throw a fit and thrash about this, again, addition by subtraction, in my opinion. Um, for your church. I agree. Yeah. So Saddleback did respond to this. Um, this b- removal by the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and again, this happened last year, kind of when this all kind of got rolling. And they had a quote from Andy Wood, who is the now senior pastor there. He said, um, or says, the Associated Press last year, he told them that the Bible teaches that men and women were given spiritual gifts by God. And then he says, his wife has served as teaching pastor for Saddleback. (laughs) So, you know, his response, the senior pastor of the second largest church of the Southern Baptist Convention at the time... His response to being challenged on adherence to God's word is just to convolute and mislead with the word of God. So not a great response from Andy Wood, right? Because yes, we all receive spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, You may even, as we just mentioned, receive a teaching gift as a woman. No Mm -hmm. one says you can't do that. And in fact, all of our experience would teach us that they do receive teaching gifts.
0: Yeah, just because you have a teaching gift... Yeah, women can have a teaching gift, and Titus 2 came to mind, so starting in verse 3. The older women, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God— may not be blasphemed. So in today's Christianity, we have women teaching other women that it's their calling in life to not stay home and raise their children. God has called them to live empowering lives, empowering other women and convincing them that raising their children is oppressive. So these are the things you don't see being taught, like really like teaching women to love their husbands and their children like it needs to be taught sadly like
1: (laughs) to be discreet
0: yeah yeah it needs to be taught because so many are going astray and they're i mean just the christianity today with that beth what was her name beth allison
1: Barr. bar oh she was losing her mind on twitter over it oh my gosh
0: oh i bet
1: but yeah i mean this is stuff that should be taught. It doesn't mean that you can't have a teaching gift. It simply means God has a standard of who is to be a pastor, elder, or overseer of a church, and that's reserved for men. That has nothing to do with your spiritual gifting,
0: right? You're equal. None of that. You're equal. It's not like you know the argument. You know, I'm less human is what some people argue because you're a woman. It's just you have different roles, and it's the the whole the egalitarian, complementarian. um, Yeah, well, and again, feminism
1: has killed that um, in America in 2023. Among many things, feminism has killed the idea of biblically defined roles and biblical, true, traditional biblical womanhood. Feminism has done everything they could to kill that, and they've successfully um, killed it in many people's minds, um, in many Christians' minds um, today. They've killed that idea which is sad. But um, we did also even have Rick Warren, who responded to this. And he sent out a tweet in response to being removed. And I didn't screen capture the tweet at the time. And it has since been deleted. (laughs) So he deleted the tweet that he initially put out in response to this which I think is a good thing because the tweet was not overly flattering to Rick Warren. His basically tweet was to respond with, I have a really big audience and a really big following. So I'll respond in my own time. You know, he kind of put up there that, you know, he reaches 11 million people on his platform and, you know, sold books or whatever he happened to say, uh, 42,000 member church or whatever. I can't remember what it was, but it was all about his numbers. And I was like, ah, man, why'd you have to go there, right? Like, the the pure seeker-sensitive church model that Rick Warren championed for 40 years, basically, I'll get back to you in my own time, and I'm right because of look at how much success and growth I've had, and like, not a good look here. Um, so he did delete the tweet. I'm glad that he deleted it, and uh, we'll see ultimately how he responds going forward or if Saddleback... I guess they get an appeal to this if they want to appeal it. You know, we'll see how that goes. But as of now, I'm thankful for the Southern Baptist Convention. Kudos to them on that. And maybe this is part of that revival coming out of Asbury. If so, we're pleased with it. And Um, the
0: revival came from adhering to God's word.
1: As the revival (laughs) always does. That is, uh, we were talking about that with the original Great Awakening, you know, Jonathan Edwards and um, George Whitfield and those folks. I mean, the Great Awakening didn't happen in a church building, but it happened from people going to their churches and people even making the trips to see specific pastors and teachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. But it was to hear the word of God being preached. They weren't like, yeah, oh George Whitfield preached in that cornfield and the spirit still in the cornfield. No, they went there to hear the word of God proclaimed by George Whitefield and they were awakened in their soul. And that's how the awakening happened. It wasn't just, I went to Asbury, you know, and went to Hughes Auditorium and the Holy Spirit fell on me. And no, it was, did you hear the word of God? The gospel is the power unto salvation. So Mm -hmm. again, not (laughs) poo-pooing Asbury. We're hoping that this is a true revival. Things are looking good Just don't like the idea that you got to go to some special location to feel the Holy Spirit. Don't think that uh, should be something we're trying to strive and find.
0: People travel to hear the people they want to hear. and
1: Which again, I have no problem with that. We're going to go out to see John MacArthur. You know, I did that months ago. Went to his church for that Puritans conference, loved it. And we're probably going to make the trip out there again. And you learned. So long as he's still didn't with us. You go
0: there for an emotional experience. You went learning about God's right. word.
1: So that's all we have on the news, unless you have any last comments on Saddleback or Rick Warren, anybody like that.
0: No. No.
1: no. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. don't, you know. Yeah, whatever adhere to God's word. <laughs> That'll steer you steer you right. Even if you don't feel like you like it, adhere to God's word. So for our Bible topic, um, as we've been kind of mentioning, we want to discuss sin. Um, we feel that this is such an important thing to be uh, speaking about, should have always been being spoken about. Um, but especially in this time, because it seems to almost be completely dismissed in America today. And sadly dismissed in many places that would call themselves the church today, sort of dismiss sin. Um, and we're uh, looking at you here, Andy Stanley. <laughs> you know, We just talked about that. He strives to affirm everything. Well, that's not great. But as the book that we'll be um, using, as Nikki mentioned earlier, it's called Knowing Sin by Mark Jones. Um, yeah, you can see it there. <laughs> And uh, that's kind of the book that we're using and we will be using for the next, you know, however many weeks, kind of a chapter per week that we'll be going through. Um, But he points out in that book, he says, Is not the Bible a book on sin? God saves sinners, not good people. And, you know, the Bible is a lot of things, but amongst all those things, it is a book on sin. It is the only place we can go to identify what is sin So we're just going to be taking this kind of one chapter, like I said, per week, and really trying to come to grips with sin, right? Sin in the world, and more importantly, sin in us, because that's what we're mostly concerned with. Um, I think it's a shame that so many churches have turned away from speaking on sin, Um, and this, I believe, is why we've had um, kind of so many that have had their love for God go cold, I would say. You know, when you stop speaking about sin, right? They no longer understand why they need him so badly and how dire the consequences of their lifestyle and choices are. Um, so that love for God grows cold because they don't understand they really need him so badly.
0: Yeah, because if you think you're so great and you're not sinful, you don't, like we've said before, like knowing your sin, your, how deep sin is and what a problem that is then you don't know the mercy of god the love of god you yeah, know that's it's like the a shallow
1: shame of the Andy Stanleys of the world where it's just i affirm all your sin like man all you do is really just steal people's joy that they could really have in god to know you know um what's the the John Newton quote the guy who wrote um amazing grace i think as he was dying like one of his last quotes that he said was like I know I'm a great sinner, but he's a great savior, you know, and that's, mm. we're taking that first half away from God's a great savior. And you're like, well, what is he saving me from? Nothing. Cause everything you do is fine. Exactly. Oh, well, that's cool. Then, you right. know, instead of, yeah, you're going to hell and you deserve it. Yet he paid the price for you. Um, that's a good message. That's a joyful message. So again, the book's called knowing sin. We'll have links down in the show notes. You can go check that out. Again, it's an affiliate link. If you want to pick up a copy of that, it would help the show out. But more importantly, it would help your soul out by kind of coming to grips and learning a little bit more about sin. And like I said, we're going to try to do one chapter per week. We're also going to kind of wrap in the introduction this week because it wasn't terribly long. So I don't think we're going to be um, bombarding you with too much today. But... I like the way that the book kind of opens. Um, Jones writes in the opening, other than knowing God, your greatest advocate, nothing else in this world is more important than knowing sin, your greatest enemy. And then a few lines further down, he says, "Christians should know that a proper understanding of grace requires a thorough grasp of sin. Um,
0: that's what we were trying to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think this is what we've lost. Um, and this is what, you know, progressive Christianity, whatever you want to call it, liberal Christianity, or even just broader, the seeker-sensitive kind of church has taken from Christians in this nation. And I can only really speak of this nation, um, you know, while they're trying to shield their members supposedly from, like, the harsh realities of sin. Um, because probably in actuality, they're shielding them from that because that might make them not want to show up to their church if you were actually Mm. confronting them. Um, But in reality, all they've taken is a proper understanding of God's grace and mercy that he shows to us whom he's died to save.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. He's like, not giving people the chance to mourn over their sin. That's a good thing to mourn over your sin. That's a blessing. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. It's not a hateful thing to do to I mean, you see somebody in sin, you're not going to like you know, em- embarrass them and shame them. You're not like pointing it out to people. I mean, Christian to Christian, yeah, we want to um point it out lovingly you know, there's a certain way to do that, but people need to know the the general idea of what sin is. They can reflect on their own lives. and
1: Right. I mean, you need to have a proper understanding of what sin is and, you know, not just sugar-coated, you know, which I think a lot of churches, because I'm sure, you know, even these seeker-sensitive churches, right, they may... Um, sort of pay the lip service to talking about a sin or something, but it's not, if you're not going deep in it, showing people how it um, manifests in their life, what it looks like in their life, um, why it's so bad, why they need to actually die to it. And not just enough to say, well, we all sin and God loves, Jesus died for sinners. He was a friend of sinners. Instead of saying, no, he needs you to die to that sin. You know, that sexually immoral lifestyle. Yeah, he came and he saved sexually immoral people, and they no longer stay sexually immoral, right? Yeah. Um, there's a way to go deeper into this idea of sin without just glossing over it and making people think it's okay to stay in their sin.
0: Yeah, he loves you. He doesn't want to leave you in your sin. He wants you to live. He wants you to be free from it, not be in bondage to it. And if you're a new creation in Christ, you don't keep going back to it and enjoying it. You know, like I've said again, like the dog returns to its own vomit. And if you're a new creature, you're not a dog anymore. (laughs) Yeah. You're not a a pig going back to the mud. Uh, If you're, if you love your sin, you have no sorrow over your sin at all. And you live just like you used to. I would question if you are truly saved And that's serious. We need to actually confront people in our lives who claim and to make sure they understand the gospel. Because, you know, there's so many people who say they're Christians, but they really haven't heard the gospel because they sit under people like Andy Stanley. So they're probably not saved if they heard the gospel from him.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, without a proper understanding of your sin, we would say you can't have a proper love and appreciation for God's free gift of salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because again, what makes it so great if you deserve to be in heaven anyways? Right. Um, And why wouldn't you deserve to be in heaven if you don't understand the depth and breadth of your sin and the punishment that's due such sin, which again, the Andy Stanleys of the world, I can't imagine are really giving you a solid and proper, full understanding of that in your life, Um, which is a shame. But he goes on in this book and he quotes um, Thomas Brooks, or Thomas Watson, I'm sorry. And Watson says, the more bitterness we taste in sin, the more sweetness we shall taste in Christ. Mm -hmm. And again, pastors today in many places have stolen our sweetness by trying to remove sin's bitterness. And that's a shame.
0: Really true. That's a really good quote. I mean, what you said at the end, that was good moving sin's bitterness. Yep. Yeah, just tell people
1: that. I quote better than Thomas Watson, the great Puritan (laughs) preacher of the 17th century.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's true. Yeah. So just the doctrine of depravity uh, really opens our eyes for our need for Jesus. I loved learning that doctrine four years ago, and it might have been what I needed to love Jesus more and call out to him for salvation all over again. Um, I didn't understand the depth of sin, uh, really what he did. And it was such a blessing. I, that was, I loved learning that I was just anything I could read about it. I was enjoying it because it was, it was drawing me closer to Jesus. Yeah. It, that's what I'd call revival.
1: (laughs) that's a real revival in the soul. (laughs) So he has in there, so Thomas Watson, we quoted, he quotes Thomas Brooks in there as well, who they're both Puritan preachers. Um, And Brooks says of sin, he says, The seed of all sin, of the vilest and worst of sin, in the best of men. Then he goes on and says, There is not a worse nature in hell than that that is in you. And it would discover itself accordingly if the Lord did not restrain it. Uh, that's pretty shocking to hear. You know, the worst and most vile things in hell is the same thing contained in you if the Holy Spirit doesn't constrain us um, from that sin. And, you know, that's a a message we don't really hear, right? Yeah, you sin, but Jesus loves sinners. Not, you know, Mm. the same stuff that got the angels thrown out of heaven. Um, The same thing that, you know, the lake of fire is reserved for, resides in us, in all of us, the best of men. Mm -hmm. And unless the Lord restrains it in us, um, our depth of depravity, you know, we see what men are willing to do um, in their depravity. So
0: pretty shocking. It's the seed of sin, and he stops it from growing completely what it could be.
1: Yeah, because I think it's important for us to understand. And again, this is why sin needs to be preached, because it's important to note, and we get this confused a lot of times when you read survey after survey, people always, they answer this wrong, I would say, right? Because you, if you're listening, watching, me, Nikki, all of us, right? We're not good people on our own. (laughs) This is the doctrine of depravity. We have uh, depraved natures. We're born in sin, as the psalmist writes. And Luke chapter 18, verse 19, it says, And Jesus said to him, this is on the rich young ruler, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Um, So we may do good from time to time, right? Some more than others. But we're people living in open rebellion against God and his commands. Um, and, as we said earlier, God, in His Word, determines what's right and what's good, you know, so we may do what's right, we may do good from time to time, but that sin nature, the same sin nature that got angels thrown out of heaven, that hell is reserved for, resides in all of us, we are not good people on our own. Um, we all know romans uh what is it? chapter three verse twenty three for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, And then we read just a few chapters later, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, um, that the wages of that sin, right, that we've all um, given into, the wages of that sin is death. So we're all sinners and we're all deserving of death. And again, that's something you need to hear so that you can understand what a wonderful gift Christ paid for you um, to redeem you back from that death you most certainly deserve. Um, we all deserve we over to, and over again, every day. You're deserving of it. It is a
0: blessing to understand what sin is, that how we are born in sin, the nature or corrupted. We can't get rid of it. We can do good deeds, but it is still inside of us, um, and it can take over our our flesh. Is a slave to it. And I mean, when you're born again, you die to the flesh. You are alive in your spirit and you are, you're told to live by the spirit and not by the flesh. You now have the power of God in you, God's presence in you to not obey your flesh. Um, your spirit obeys Christ. It's, it is just insane to think that people willingly bow down to sin, to the flesh, after saying that they are born again, to go back into something that you say Jesus set you free from, from the power of it. Well, if you're set free from the power of sin, why do you live as a slave to it still? Why do you enjoy serving sin? Right. We all question. do from time
1: to time. You know, that's the depravity. You I mean, know sanctification is a lifelong process, and we don't actually reach that perfect sanctification in this life. Um, So we will all fall back into it. But even just the idea that, because this is more, at least in my mind, you know, obviously for ourselves to consider the sin in our own life, but to implore other people, and if you're pastors and stuff to be speaking on that, to be telling people that it's just okay. Or it's no right. big deal because God loves them. Man, that is such the wrong message. Mm-hmm. Um, because now you're leading your people that you're supposed to be shepherding and protecting, you're leading them into that lifestyle of, like, well, I mean, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't mean I have to change my life or anything like that. I just, you know, I go to church on Sunday and that makes it all okay. Um, you know, and that's just such the wrong message.
0: It is. It's one of those things you sin and you say, Lord, help me, help me to hate this. I don't, when you know that he's a holy God, and then when you sin, you're sinning against him. And It is, I know that we sin, and sometimes we enjoy, especially when we feel like we can, um, you know, justify ourselves or try to get, or try to get even with somebody or get the last word or, um, little things like that even, um. Yeah, sanctification is a lifelong process. And yeah, and the flesh does enjoy um, being right. Uh, It's hard to be humble. (laughs) Um, We're always struggling. But when the word of God or another believer confronts your sin, um, you know, we're blind to it. We have specks in our eyes, logs in our eyes sometimes, but we're going to. That's why we have to help each other. Uh, we're not free of specs. So no. but when the word of God is um, in your face, you know, confronting your sin, do you reject it? Do you reject the um the correction of God through a, a brother or sister or through the word reading yourself? Um, yeah, he's gonna correct his children. Try to get to. It's not that we're perfect yeah, we still will sin, we'll still enjoy some sins, but he's going to correct us if we're enjoying our sin.
1: Yeah, so kind of going on into this first chapter of the book here. So the first chapter of the book kind of focuses on Satan and Adam a little bit, kind of the nature and origin of their sin. Um, He writes in there, he discusses that Adam was able not to sin, but not infallibly or immutably so. Um, God did not confirm Adam in a state of immutable goodness. So I just, I guess that was kind of, you know, he went in a little bit more in depth on why Adam sinned, why Satan sinned and stuff like that. But we're far less concerned about Adam's sin um, today than we are about our own. So we're not going to focus too much on Satan and Adam too much. We'd rather discuss ourselves. And he says, in discussing sin we must ask two fundamental questions, whether it be so, and what is it? So whether sin be so, and if so, then what is it? And I think this is an important function of pastors um, to present Mm -hmm. and answer these questions to their congregation. You know, again, your job as a pastor is not a motivational speaker, not a self-help guru. It is to Open up the Word of God and teach it to your congregation. And thankfully, you know, as a pastor who should be preaching on this sort of stuff, the Bible explains and answers both, (laughs) you know. So as long as you're preaching the text of the Bible, you will cover and answer both of these topics. Um, So just in order for us here to answer the first question, I think you have to answer the second First, so in order to answer whether it be so, you have to first define what is it. And I just went to uh, you know Logos, my little Logos app with uh, my Bible dictionaries, and the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary had a good definition of sin. It says, "Sin is human deviation from the expressed will and desire of God." So that's what sin is, right? So now that we know what sin is, the deviation from the expressed will and desire of God, um, is it so, right? We're going to answer that first question after we realize what the second is, right? We know what sin is now, so is it so, or whether it be, I'm sorry. So did God give us his will and desire? Yes, right? At many times and in many places, all throughout scripture, God has given us his will and his desire, uh, most notably, you could go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 through 17, right? The Ten Commandments. So going back to that definition from Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, human de- deviation from the expressed will and desire of God. Um, if we deviate from God's expressed will and desire as described in places like the Ten Commandments, then sin is so, Right? Yes. So sin is deviating from God's will. Did God tell us his will? Yes. Well, then sin exists. So that's how you can kind of come to that conclusion. Um, and Jones goes on in there um, just shortly after that. He says, Well, do you want to read that quote, honey?
0: Sin is a human problem insofar as we are responsible for it, yet the solution is not ours to produce since, like the leopard, unable to change his spots, we cannot cleanse ourselves without God's grace. The solution to the problem of sin thus falls to God, against whom sin is ultimately committed.
1: Yep. So we are responsible for our sin. Again, I think a message that is sorely lost in today's world— You know, Jones does make the point in here, kind of on Adam, that uh, there are internal causes of Adam's sin. And then there's also, um, well, he points out in there the internal cause of Adam's sin, or really we could say our sin, is free will. The reason why you sin internally is because your will and your will leads you to sin. You know, that's kind of Martin Luther's first point in his writing, The Bondage of the Will you know, he makes the case that, well, if free will does exist, all it can do is lead us to sin. Mm-hmm. You know, again, going back to Romans 3, 23, you know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Martin's point was, all right, you want to say we have free will? Great. All it does is lead us into sin. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. And that's the point Jones makes here. And so he says there's that internal cause of our sin, our free will, but then there's the external cause of Satan's temptation. Um or, you know, just, I mean, may not necessarily person, the odds that Satan is personally tempting you is probably slim. He's just one being that he can only focus on one thing at a time. Um, But just that external, maybe demonic um, sort of temptation. But you are responsible for your sin. And you sin. (laughs) That's important to understand. You sin and you are responsible for your sin. You alone ultimately bear the responsibility for that sin. Um, And again, I think, you know, that's kind of the message that I think gets lost here. Um, That it's not, because we live in such a victim culture today. Everything is victimhood. Victimhood, you're never responsible for anything because ah, it's white supremacy, right? Or ah, it's the rich people or you know, whatever it happens to be, you are responsible for your sins. Um, You know, and we ultimately, certainly cannot shift that blame onto God. You know, God is the only one who's able to cleanse us from our sin. He's not responsible for our sin. The Bible makes that, you know, more than clear. Um, Which again, going back to the idea of preaching on sin in the first place and helping people to understand you sin. You're responsible for that sin. What are the wages of that sin? When that message gets preached to people, it makes Christ and his free gift of salvation, right, through faith alone. It's that simple. Through faith alone, it makes it such an amazing offer to people. Um, But when you withhold the idea that you sin, you're responsible, and it has dire consequences, when you withhold all that and you just go, and Jesus is amazing, they're like, all right, cool. Yeah, I, I don't know why he's amazing, but sure, you keep he's telling me that. not your
0: personal Lord and Savior unless you took responsibility for all your sin. Your sin is personal. If your sin's not personal, then I don't think you have a personal relationship with Jesus.
1: Right. I mean, you're not going to victim shame your way into heaven. Uh, um, you need to repent of your sins, turn away from your sins. Because if you're sins. the victim,
0: then who who's making you a victim.
1: Right. And I mean, even just that victim mentality really prevents you from fully recognizing and understanding the the depth of your sin, right? If it was always somebody else's fault, then, you know, how can you be held accountable for it? It's just a bad mindset and a bad idea to teach people that. And Jones, uh, in this chapter one, goes on, he says, Indeed, we can point to shaping influences— as external causes for our incitements to sin. Still, we must assign responsibility for the sin to the individual committing it. We can never claim innocence when we sin or excuse ourselves from it because of some forceful external factor involved, including Satan. (laughs) Let us remove from our hearts and minds such phrases as, I could not help myself. I was unable to resist, or even the devil made me do it. I don't know the last time I heard someone sin and go, well, the devil made me do it. Maybe they still do. Don't let them get away with it. Tell them, no, brother, brother, you sinned. That's your responsibility. Um, so ultimately, you know, why sin exists, or why it was allowed to exist. You know, ultimately, there's a lot of theories and discussions um, but it's difficult to really come to full knowledge of. Um, we, we don't ultimately have God telling us exactly why sin was allowed to happen. But we do know that God knew it would. Um, this life is not a plan B for God. Sometimes you'll hear that thought kind of thrown out there that because Adam messed up plan A, well, mm. God came up with plan B. No.
0: It wasn't out of God's control.
1: No, sin. he was ordained all of it. Right. Um, none of it was out of his control, and this was always the only plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and Jones, again, in his book, offers up this reason for sin. He says, "The presence of sin brings to light the character of God. Without sin, perhaps some of God's attributes, as revealed to us, would have been hidden away in the depths of uh, in the depths of the Godhead. You know, so we could very easily say, you know, without." Sin being present in our world, you know, we would never really know of God's justice. We'd never know of his holiness. Um, Maybe we would never understand his wrath if Mm -hmm. sin didn't exist. And therefore, if we didn't understand that, we would never fully understand his love, his mercy, or his grace. Um, So because sin exists, we get to understand these aspects of God's being.
0: Yeah, like we worship him for those reasons. Um, for his compassion and, and the angels don't know, know him personally that way. He didn't, he didn't reveal himself to them. Like they didn't have that need to call on him. They, they're in heaven with him. Didn't the ones in heaven now. I mean, not the ones that followed Satan, but we worship him in a way they aren't experiencing, you know? And, and God, everything He does is wise. He decrees the end from the beginning. And He decreed this so that He can be fully worshiped. And it's just for His name's sake. He deserves it. He deserves all the praise. He is wise in everything He does. Sin was not something that happened out of His control. And everything He does is good.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, you know, the idea of not preaching sin, not discussing sin, not exploring sin in your congregants' lives and your life and all that, you know, you not only are sort of failing to warn people um, of the, the depravity that resides within them, with this, which is shameful and you shouldn't do as a pastor, but again, you're also removing from them A larger extent to which they could love and worship God Mm -hmm. when they fully come to grips with just how desperately they need Him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's bad in both cases, right? To not really, you know, it's cowardice, really, I would say, um, to not be confident enough or uh, believe in God's word enough to stand on or stand behind your pulpit and, you know, preach these tough messages to people that they need to hear. Um, But then it's also, you know, a bit disheartening that you're going to take away from them because you think you're protecting them. You're going to take away from them their chance to really love and worship God fully for knowing just how um, wretched of a person he actually saved. You know, that's, um, I don't think, something you ought to be striving to do, especially as someone who considers themselves a pastor.
0: Well, just again, I I bring up, the parable a lot, but the Pharisee and the tax collector, um, you know, Pharisee telling God, like, thank you, you know, thanking God that I'm not like, and he lists all, you know, bad things about others. I should have pulled the verse up, but he's thanking God that he's not as vile and sinful as others. And then the tax collector standing afar off, you know, says he couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner.
1: Right, and the and Pharisee he was, wound up in hell because <laughs> he didn't <sighs> understand the depravity of his soul. And the tax collector was in Abraham's bosom.
0: Yeah, right? he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't know if that was... Or maybe that's
1: the rich man Lazarus I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, he says the, the tax collector... Is the His one prayer was heard. who was justified because yeah. he only came before God asking for mercy. I'm a sinner, have mercy. And the Pharisee was boastful before God. So it's a blessing to let your let your congregation, others be mourning over their sin, coming before God like that. Like that's a blessing. Don't steal that from them.
1: So um, we'll be getting into more of this book as we go over the next couple of weeks. Um, we're excited for that. But for our sermon recommendation today on the idea of sin, um, we're recommending John MacArthur, "The Inescapable Corruption of Sin." Um, he, I think, you know, may have a lot of faults about him that people like to point out, but I don't think anybody, um, you know, at least in my opinion. Preaches from the text better than John MacArthur, um, and when it's preaching on sin and stuff that needs to be preached, I listened to this sermon. I thought it was really good. Um, so go give it a listen. I think you'd be encouraged by it. I think because uh, I think it's encouraging to hear of our actual state before God, and you know, then also hearing that there's a way out of that. You know, I think that's encouraging. So
0: yeah, every time sin is brought up in Scripture. It's not left just, you know, you hopeless. It's always the other side of that is, here's the gospel, but God and his mercy. um, It's always, they always go on to the answer (laughs) of the problem of sin.
1: Yeah. So it's a good sermon. Um, Go give it a listen. And... I will end the uh, author Mark Jones had a good quote in his book, uh, so I'll try to end with the quote that he wrote in there. I think it's fitting for today's episode. Um, it's from Martin Luther in a letter that he wrote to his friend Philip uh, Mellon. I think I'm going to get the name wrong. Melanchthon, Philip Melanthon. He said, "Pray hard for you are a great sinner. All right, God bless.